Fuck pain, fuck heartbreak. I'm still in love with life. From the multicultural headquarters of the future capital of the free-thinking states of America known as Los Angeles, this is the Drunken Dows Podcast. Tonight, the Holy Bible gets the fan fiction treatment, but Lily lets us know exactly what he thinks of Ben Shapiro. Isabella gives her opinions on lice, Julius Caesar versus the pirates, hunting kidnappers in a dream, and where have you gone, Dan Carlin? A lonely nation turns its eyes to you. Cuckoo kachoo. And now, asking you all to spread the words that corporations are not persons, I'm Rich Evers. And my partner in crime, the savage philosopher and middle finger of the gods, Daniele Bolelli. As we invite you to lower the lights, Batten down the hatches and prepare to open your mind. For the Drunken Dows podcast begins now. There we go. All right, everybody. Welcome back to another fine episode of the Drunken Dows podcast. Episode 122. Across from me for another fine Rich and Bolelli episode, Daniele Bolelli. Sweet. 122 already. Nice, man. It is a lot. Okay. Well, let's say a few thank yous. Um... Well, first, real quick shout out to my friend Leo Hirai, who opened an MMA gym in LA. I think I did it in the, another episode, just in case I do it now. I'll put a link in the episode notes to his gym. If you live in LA, you want to try MMA or jujitsu or anything of that sort, check out his gym. He's going to give a discount to anybody who tell them that you came through the Drunken Taoist. So check that out. Big thank you to Onnit, Datsusara, and Shore Design. Uh, where do we start? Onnit. Man, my alpha brain consumption is increasing. They have slowly turned me on into it. It took months and years, and now I'm an alpha brain aficionado. And never mind just about everything else. They have one of the coolest things. I think I mentioned in a previous episode. It's so good. I can't wait for them to release it. They have, if you do yoga, they have these yoga mats where there's Han, Han Solo frozen, frozen carbonite. Han Solo I saw carbonite. that. That is awesome. It's genius. Yeah. I so want it. And I, you can even swing your, your Darth Vader kettlebell yes, on top of it. Absolutely. That one's like 85 pounds. I don't yeah. know about that yeah, one. Yeah, you but. need to be a stud. But there's... Uh, <laughs> yes, that is hilarious. Yeah, they have some. And they always have these new products that keep popping up. And genius. So check out the Onnit catalog look at everything they got to offer i'm sure there's something that will meet your taste is there link is in the episode notes that if you click it you get an automatic discount through us that never goes wrong you know if you have your han solo and carbonite yoga mat you could roll that up and put it into your datsu sarah <laughs> that's right yoga mat carrying device exactly so that's Sarah also expand their range and they have new products all the time. The, that's one of them, the yoga carrying bag, yoga mat carrying bag. So when you are, because uh, one of the problems that we have, for example, in telling you guys about that Sarah is that, yeah, maybe you like it. Maybe you trust us. Maybe you do get a bag and you're like, whoa, this is an awesome backpack. Okay, great. Now I don't need another one for six years. Um, they have new stuff. So check out, maybe there are other things that may interest you. 
take a look, see if it uh, suits your needs. I'm for victory. Yes, I'm for victory indeed. The, um, and of course, sure design with the softest, coolest t-shirts on the planet. You got one on right now. You I look have, soft and cool. I have, uh, well, actually we have yeah, our t-shirts, yes, our yes. podcast t-shirt. I'm wearing currently the surfing Nietzsche one. I think easily the favorite. Yeah, you, that's the one you like best? That's the one that gets the biggest feedback. I, I'm partial to some, it's hard to pick. I do like the EQ one so that much. I think that is, yeah. Which is funny because I think they That's can, a better joke. The, the, the surfing Nietzsche is a better joke. Yeah. The Iki, the Iki is, ah, that's, get one for your lady. Yeah, it's old. I cannot tell it's you how, look, how good old. they're going to look in the green and nothing else. And with that soft fabric. It's all good. Whee! The logo is good too. The drunk and you get yeah. Ben Shapiro laid. <laughs> I, I love the, yeah, our t-shirts are awesome. And sure design in general. Check out their catalog. Brilliant stuff. Uh, anything else that needs to be said? Not right now. Cool. Let's jump in. respite of no bible stories it's not just a bible story it's an alt bible story yeah this is some we are jumping into the territory of apocryphal stuff the very early christian writings that were created because the reality is that you know the gospel says biographies of jesus are really thin they only cover the period when he's maybe a year to two three of his life they don't really tell us a whole lot about his childhood or anything else they so there were clearly a lot of early Christians who were hungry for more. They wanted to know, you know, what happened to Jesus in junior high? What happened in, you know, the, they want more details. And so clearly there were plenty of other Christians who were ready to, you know, let their fantasy run wild. So this is like a fan fiction. Yeah, it is complete fan fiction. I think you nailed it. That's exactly <laughs> what it is. It's Bible fan fiction of the early days. It is a story that comes from something called the proto-evangelium of james which is basically scholars i mean officially the authors say i am james the brother of jesus so it should be a contemporary source most historians looking at the language and everything else they say it was probably latter part of the maybe like 160s 170s somewhere around there so it's probably a bit hundred some years after uh, Jesus' time and a lot of urban Jesus slang that stuff. didn't exist in the, in the yeah, zero Yeah, some days. of the internal references don't quite add up to being early first century. They look like a little later. So, but still, very early Christianity, right? And uh, some of the bishops at the time in the Christian world they weren't so convinced that this was a legit source, but plenty other Christians were. They were like, no, we like this. This is cool stuff. It's like, don't spoil it with the facts. This is good fan fiction. Let us, uh, let us get into it. And a lot of these uh, stories focus on Jesus as a baby, the miracles surrounding Jesus' birth, because 
you know, the Gospels are kind of thin about that. Again, uh, they are like, oh, Jesus is born from the Virgin Mary, Virgin birth. Okay, next. And he's like, wait, wait, what, what happened? That's kind of a big deal. You know, how did, that seems to go. They go really fast on it. So this is a satisfied uh, Christian curiosity for give us more on that. We want to hear a little more about this Virgin birth business. It's the three wise men. They took care of business. So, That's what the frankincense of myrrh was for. So one of the TLERs says that uh, Ver- uh, Mary goes into labor. So Joseph decides, okay, time to get a midwife so that we can have this baby delivered. And uh, the midwife shows up, but Jesus turns out she's not needed at all because Jesus does not tra- travel down the birth canal. He just pops out in a bright cloud and flash of light and just appears in Mary's arms. There's no, not only he wasn't conceived sexually, but doesn't even travel in the way that infants are supposed to. So, That's going to be bad for him because there's a lot of protective uh, bacteria you get from your mother's uh, I birth guess, canal. Uh, I'm I guess worried not, for him now. I know. Probably why I didn't make it out of his 30s. Probably correct, right? So that's uh, that's what happens. Midwife is like, whoa, that's the first. I didn't <laughs> see a bird like that before. So she tells another, you know, during when they are having a midwife conference, she's having a discussion with another midwife named Salome. Salome, let me tell you, I was with this one bitch. And the baby just <laughs> poof into the arms. Nothing, no crowning, just wallop. I'm not totally sure it was on the up and up. That's uh, that Salome is exactly as that reaction, which is like, come on, give me a break. You know, you were drunk out of your mind or something. There's no way that that happened. Just I don't believe it. So what? another non-believer. I, I want to find out. So she goes to Mary and say, look, I've been hearing these crazy stories. I need to find out. Would you mind real bad if I just test it both regarding your virgin? I mean, you can tell if you had a baby or not. So. Would you mind if I just finger you a little, stick a finger in you and find out whether you actually did deliver a baby or not, whether you had, you are a virgin or not? And are we telling a Jesus junior high story right now? Or are we telling, uh, now I'm confused. Yeah. That sounds like some really powerful uh, way to get slapped. Yeah, this is going into a very accelerated direction. But Mary apparently think it's all fine. So by all means, have she, a look. She lays That's down how I got this the, way in the first place. <laughs> she lays down for the gynecological exam. <laughs> Salome sticks a finger in her. And um, again, I'm not making it up. And this is probably why this text got kicked out of the Bible, by the way. Because I'm going to take a moment. Okay. As they were considering, you know, it was popular enough among in many churches, but there were some people who said, no, I don't think we're going with this. this is... But in any case... <laughs> The, um, stick a finger in and Salome immediately cries out, Woe for my lawlessness and the unbelief that made me test the living God. Look, my hand is falling away from me and being consumed in fire. So the second she stick the finger in, our whole land catches on fire and falls off. Okay, so yeah, we have fingering into fire-hot vagina that result in her hand falling off. I heard a hot pussy before, but that's... That takes it to a whole new level. So this is... But luckily, an angel appears and tells Salome, touch baby Jesus with your... Stomp. Stomp. You're burnt. (laughs) Exactly. Crispy. (laughs) And she promptly does and gets a new hand uh, replaced clean, probably manicured too. And uh, everything works out. 
I wonder why this story didn't make it into the Bible because it's uh, man. Uh, so what happened is in, uh, in how did Ar- Joseph feel about this? I don't. Matter. I mean, first of all, the man is putting up with this whole virgin birth thing. Yeah. Now he's not going to be able to put his Johnson in there for fear of it burning off. Yeah, that would be bad. Which I think, in fact, why, for example, some Christian sects argue that Mary remained a virgin throughout her life. Well, I bet. Whereas others argue, no, she had a bunch of other kids afterwards, were normally conceived, and all of the other stuff. So that's why, like, for example, James, the brother of Jesus, they are all like, after uh so there are different tales on this some people believe a virgin forever other people say no that only counted for the first one after that it goes back to business as usual very confusing but around the year 400s a pope decided no we're done with this story this is just uh, and this whole book needs to go this is crap we don't want it so despite the popularity of the book in christian circles he, he bans it and say nope we are done and even later even like big uh, important figures in the church like saint thomas aquinas would uh, also after he found a copy of this book read it he was like yeah this is terrible some parts are really just so offensive and one of the things that he was most offended with was the notion that a midwife was involved with Christ's birth because clearly that's the problematic part right not the burning finger in but it's uh yeah so I can just picture this press conference with Pope Innocent and you know talking we've had a lot of conversations about this band book and uh we're just not gonna have it anymore yeah it's it's pretty funny because I mean, what happened was in the early uh, in the early centuries of Christianity, there was a lot of debate regarding which sources are gonna make it into the Bible and which ones were considered fake apocryphal news. and fake news. So there's a whole, <laughs> which is why then at the Council of Nicaea or Nicaea, whatever it's called, they vote on it and decide this one makes it, this one is out, this gospel is in, this gospel is out. So what were those lobbyists like back then? I wonder. I know it makes you well. There are some cool stuff. Like for example, there was one guy named uh, Arius, who was one of the one of the opponents to what became official Catholic doctrine early on, he had this idea that Jesus was of divine origin but wasn't God himself. So other guys were like, yeah, no, totally. It was like, and that was what a lot of the council was about, was establishing what is the Christian belief on this? What do we believe? Is he a demigod or is he the real deal? And, um, you know, eventually they side with what will become the Catholic position that will later become the mainstream Christian position. But uh, later on, speaking of how the lobbying was going, when the emperor looks like he's about to make peace with Arius, and so he's inviting Arius to court and he's about to show up, Arius clearly got poisoned by some rival Christian who didn't like the idea of him getting back with the emperor because he say he starts throwing up blood and showing all these signs of somebody who has been poisoned and dies on his way to the palace because somebody was saying, yeah, we're not having that. He, the guy is not making it back into the good graces of the emperor. You got to watch out for Marjorie's so, grandmother. She will poison your ass. Yeah, that's, uh, yeah, it was probably a, a Game of Thrones kind of moment like that where he goes, oh, 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 oh. And, well, we all know who truly wrote all that, and that would be the Demiurge once yeah. again. Indeed. So. Well, now I want to do some fan fiction. I really am. Like, Jesus Grade 7 could really be, you know, they put him, give him a swirly. 
how does he react? We saw what he did to the fig tree. Imagine what he would do to bullies. Yes. Jesus in junior high. Bullies never stood a chance. Or it could be like the old Superman thing where his dad, his human dad, was like, you have to hide your powers. Yeah, you know, they can't true. know. Yeah, that would be awesome. But I can, I can, I can smite all these motherfuckers. And like, no, no. I want the TV series you about it. I'm, see? See? That would be awesome. All right, this will all be erased. No one else is getting this. <laughs> Bible story. Good for you. Now, go do good deeds, freaks. I have a dream today. And now we cross the Ethereum plane for a visit into Bellelli's dream time. Well, it's time for dream time. Here we go. What, what do you have with this this week? I've been having, like, really, really intense dreams because... I may have cut down on some of my herbal remedy oh, pretty drastically. And the dreams are... Why? I Sort of like uh, sort of like Graham Hancock was saying. It was just time to put it away for a while. Yeah, it was affecting you in a weird way. I don't know if it was affecting you. It was just, just time to have a break. Hmm. Okay. Well. And like dream-wise, like I come out of dreams that are so intense. What I was in this forest... And the snow was beginning to fall. And I'd already like been like sort of like ski chalet yep. sort of arrangement. So I'd been through this thing several times. And guys were playing cards in the corner. And I could smell their cigars. And yep. totally go outside. And whoever the stranger I was with was freaking out. He's like, the snow is all wrong. This is dry Alabama snow. It's not right. It's not right. And he's freaking out. And I could feel my feet getting cold. And when I woke up. I checked to make sure my feet weren't cold. I mean, it was that immersive. Super vivid. Unbelievable. Huh? And they seem to be that way. Most of them evaporate the way they do. Just right. But some of them are like so Stick much that you. I'm not totally, completely out of it when I come away. That's kind of cool. It is cool. Especially I've been enjoying it. Especially because they are not scary, weird. No, they're dreams. just, and they're all just sort of like different adventures. Good stuff. I yeah, like yeah. that. I had a frustrating one where... This is a weird one. So there's this, uh, there's a couple, man and a woman, were kidnapping kids. So I get a shotgun to shoot their tires when they are trying to run away with some kid to stop them, but I can't find any bullets. So I'm like, God damn it, I still need to find these people. There. Later, somehow, there's a jump in the dream where I guess it's still the same dynamics, but we are in a different place. Something happened. And I'm hiding under a table and I see kind of these feet walking, you know, somebody's walking next to the table. And I know that it's the kidnappers, right? So I pull the rug from under one of them and he face plants, breaking most of his teeth. So I'm a hero of the story, except then I look and turns out he wasn't the kidnapper. It's some random person who was going by. We even manage after I pull the rug and break all his teeth to manage to be nice about it, despite that most of his feet are uh, his teeth are on the floor. And I'm just like, "Oops, I'm sorry. He wasn't meant for you. I was, was for the kidnapper. Yeah, I'm sorry about and, that." Uh, and then I wake up, and I was like, "Oh, that didn't work out so well. My hero dream didn't quite pan out the way I meant to." So, not exactly sure what to make of it, but what the hell? Don't pull the rug out from under you. Yeah, I picked the wrong person. That was not good. There's a good lesson in there. Yeah. Be sure. 
before you break somebody's teeth. Luckily, sure you didn't have correct. any shells for that shotgun. It could have been worse. You could have blasted his leg off or something. Yeah, or maybe those were the kidnappers. I don't know. Maybe I miss when I should have made it right and I got it right when with the wrong person. I'm kind of worried about the skip in the dream. Was there like a card came up 10 minutes later? Something <laughs> like that. <laughs> it's definitely something like that. Well, dreams are pretty, pretty, pretty nutty and... As the song tells us, merrily, 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 life is but a dream. Well, in, in this case, then, Daniele is a dream failure. We'll see how he fares next month, because this was not my proudest dream moment. Well, that's definitely not the case anyway, is it? It's all, you got to take the good and the bad. Yeah, I mean, already, what was the last time I ended up peeing in somebody's purse and then going, why did I do that? Where did all the so swords go? There's... Yeah, they have been troubling, to say the least. (laughs) All righty. Well, we'll worry about that. Let's rant a little about, I guess, the current political situation. This is sort of, it's a two-part moment because we have this uh, discussion in the digital mailbag session. We have it now in the rant session. They are intimately related, but going in a slightly different direction. Now, first, I guess, on a positive note, I saw this really interesting thing where there was uh, some uh, Richard Spencer rally and there was this one dude with um, like covered in swastikas walking among the crowd and a bunch of people were just throwing things at him, somebody punched him and all of that. And then there was this really weird moment of one black guy who approached him and says, hey man, why do you hate me? What is it about me that pisses you off? Is it the skin color? Is it... And, you know, the guy is clearly not engaging. And, and at one point, this black dude just hugs him. And the Nazis, like, kind of has this, fuck off, what are you doing? Probably never been hugged before. And the guy does the same thing three times or something. And on the third time, the, when he asks him, you know, why do you hate me? The Nazi dude just look at him and say, I don't know, and hugs him back, which I thought was the weirdest fucking thing because the odd of anybody switching or changing in the middle of being treated like crap and other people throwing things at him and stuff that's usually not the context in which you listen very well wow so there was something really powerful about that because yeah you do see somebody who's all like swastikas and nazism the probably the reaction that a lot of people would have is an extremely hostile one and yet in this case when a guy did not have a hostile reaction who actually engaged him in another way something click, something worked. There was actually something, a good outcome that came out for this. Now, I don't necessarily recommend that that's going to be the case every time. I don't think that would be. I think in most cases, if you go with somebody who has, uh, you know, a Nazi t-shirt on with SS soldiers and you say, let's all sit around the fire and sing Kumbaya, it's probably not going to work well. So this is us warning you, Maybe not engage the guy with the uh, yeah. SS facial tattoo yeah. thinking a hug is going to exactly. fix it. Exactly. I'm definitely not saying that. <laughs> but it's interesting to argue that sometime something can work, you know. And, of course, it's the skill is figuring out 
what can work and in what context. Because it's very easy to just say automatically, okay, throw the punch in every context. Now, in some contexts, maybe that's the right solution. In others, it's not, and it's a stupid solution, and it's obtained the opposite result. So it's interesting to me because this is a case where the more kumbaya happy approach actually worked. And again, not saying 100% of the time, but keep it as a tool in your belt there as an option, as could that be, to me, that's like the default mode. Could that work? If you think it can, maybe it's worth trying. And then keep always the, you know, the speak softly and carry a big stick approach, right? You can start with the speak softly first and see if that gets you somewhere. And if things get ugly, at least you have the other side, you know? But I thought that was... It just seems that folks have fallen into these extreme modes, whether it's ISIS or, or neo-Nazis in the U.S., it's a lot of folks that are disenfranchised. Yeah. angry. Angry and lonely. Lonely and afraid. I think those are yes, the key Yes, I think that's the key to, to most of the extremists. Yeah. There's always some bad cats that are happy to take advantage. Oh, people have treated you like shit. Well, I'm your friend, and what we're going to do is we're going to fuck all yeah. these people up. And it just, once again... A, a game as old as time. Yeah, I think it's always the mix of fear, desire to find an explanation for why things go wrong, desire to... So, it, I mean, that's how Hitler came into power. That's how all these things work, right? Well, look at our societies <clears throat> exist right now. It's splintered down to tiny little groups. Everybody's in these nuclear families and their own little bunch, and right. us four people and a couple cousins is all you care about, and there are people that are left behind. And there's no shortage of fear. No, right? especially when it's being generated what, every day. Exactly. It sells. It attracts attention. So it's, you know, that fire is stoked regularly in media and in every other ways. Fear and outrage get clicks. So you do that. So yeah, that's not a healthy thing. But speaking of something slightly more sophisticated, because, you know, when you go to the straight up Nazis or the straight up, uh, we need to kill all Nazis, you know, there's a bit of a... Starting to sound like them. Yeah, there's a bit of a problem there. But even if you go at a slightly more sophisticated position, the people who actually can put a sentence together and can... Some of these folks, like, I've had a few discussions... um, about some of the these people who disturb the living hell out of me. So let's pick on one just for the because I've heard the name enough times now that is bugging me. Mr. Ben Shapiro. Um, I actually met the guy when he was like 18 or something because he was going to UCLA at the time when I went. I think I was finishing graduate school or something and he was uh, uh, an undergrad. And the guy was just a complete dick on a human level, right? Just he bothered me in every conceivable way. Um, but beside the point, let's look at the ideas and why I'm puzzled by the fact that a lot of people, including smart people, actually consider Ben Shapiro like, oh, we should listen. He has some good points, this and that. Oy. I think Shapiro has some good points, the way broken clocks have good points. <laughs> right, know, twice a day. Like, yeah, of yeah. course. You know, And he will you know, occasionally... I think this is how the strategy works most of the time, is you pick somebody from the quote-unquote other side of the political spectrum who's batshit crazy, you point to how stupid they are, and suddenly you are the hero of the story because you call stupid stupid. To me, that's not being a brilliant thinker. To me, that's like, yeah, of course you're right, but just because you're right pointing at how an idiot is an idiot, that doesn't make you an amazing thinker or right on your own. You're just 
you're right when you criticize how somebody else is wrong. That doesn't mean that your solution is any better than what they are putting forward. And I think that's the problem that so much of the time people follow what are essentially cultural critics, guys who all they do is point fingers at how the other people are stupid. But when you listen to their solutions, it's like, whoa, that's supposed to be the solution. That's not that much better, really. And I think, you know, one of the problems which we'll expand on as in the Dan Carlin conversation, or maybe we have already expanded, depending on which, at what point this particular segment goes compared to others we recorded. Dan, but, Dan will be later. Okay, so it's coming up. One of the things that I don't trust about people like Shapiro is that give me any topic, and I almost certainly can tell you what the guy is going to argue before he does. Because I'm psychic? No. Because he is a partisan hack. He's somebody who follow a certain ideological playbook in whether you're talking about global warming or abortion or any other topic, the playbook, that's the playbook. And he's going to follow it regardless of uh, what the specific evidence is. To me, that's the exact op. Like you cannot possibly enjoy Dan Carlin and Ben Shapiro at the same time because those are two completely different modes of thinking. One that's based on nuance, Let's let the evidence speak for itself and let me come up to a conclusion based on this conflicting evidence. And the other one is let me ignore all the evidence against my argument. Let me only find the evidence that support it and let me run with that. And always argue the same point. I'm always arguing ideological point regardless of. So that's, I personally don't trust anyone whose conclusion on a particular topic I can predict before looking at the evidence. So take that. And again, on the left or the right, okay, because it's not like there are plenty of left-wing thinkers who are not any better on this. They have the same exact, you know, it's always the fault of the U.S. government, everything bad that happens in the world. And it's like, yeah, that's, that's not how that works. But let's look at Shapiro's ideas of why some of them bugs me. There are plenty. I mean, the dude wrote a whole book about the evils of sex outside of marriage. I think enough said right there. Hmm, another one of them lonely kids. But, you know, somebody can say, well, okay, that's his opinion. At least he's not legislating on that. He's not telling yeah. that you shouldn't. Okay, that's fine. I'm not voting for... It's not about just what laws he wants to pass. We're talking about his mindset. And yeah. I think his mindset is pretty gross in a lot of... So he comes to me... To me, what I see is a religious fundamentalist with a good vocabulary there who can speak better and is slightly more sophisticated, but has similar worldview. But one of my favorites is his take. There's an essay of his that to me kind of wraps things up. There's nothing left to say after that. There's an essay that he wrote in support of the Iraq war. And it's fine, you know, about most of the country supported the Iraq war at that time. I thought he was bullshit from the get-go, but I'm not going to play the I told you so thing. Let's just look. Okay, Democrats, Republicans, all of these motherfuckers supported the record. Um, but here is how Shapiro takes it a few steps further. He's not just saying I support the record. Oh, he's ready for a crusade. Check out this passage from some of his writings. He says, America faces a crossroads. Since the death of the Soviet Union were unquestionably the world's only superpower the world's remaining empire. Here is where it gets good. Acquiring an empire requires a different mindset than maintaining an exp and expanding one. Empires either decline or they grow. 
okay, I was just warming you up. Now comes the line that if America is to survive and flourish, Americans must realize that empire isn't a choice. It's a duty. Try that again. Empire isn't a choice. Empire is a duty. How'd that work for Great Britain? Is somebody seriously going to bring up Ben Shapiro in a serious conversation to me again? I mean, how the fuck does somebody push this cheerleading for empire, yeah. this cheerful neocon imperialism? Yeah, and apparently he's not aware of China either. Yeah, never mind the fact that, yes, that they, they recall their, your loans, U.S. is bankrupt. But beside that, it's yeah. like, are you kidding me? And in all of this, by the way, not even the thing that pissed me off the most. Like one of the things that I really despise is that guys like Shapiro are the ones who have been pushing that business as usual, fuck the environment approach that characterizes corporate politics. And while giving lip service to, oh yeah, the environment is important, which who doesn't say that? Of course, you know, you can't say we should poison the water we drink or the air we breathe. But then in practice... How many lines in your life have you spent writing about the stupidity of the dumbest leftist? And how many lines have you spent writing about what can you do about the environmental crisis that's, that's dramatically affecting millions of people? If in all your political career you haven't given this much attention to that topic, and you haven't given it for a very obvious reason, because that would piss the money off comes some from. corporate yeah. interest that you are in bed with. Well, that, it all comes back to that, though, doesn't it? Isn't that the, the dollar sign? Obviously. So that's where, you know, to me, the kind of thinking that Shapiro represents is the very philosophy of the suit and ties who have fucked up and continue to fuck up the world in the worst possible ways. And, and here is my problem, that what drives me nuts is to hear people who are smart and sensitive telling me that they like the guy. It's like, you know, this is why if people who are smart and sensitive can made to believe that <clears throat> transgender bathrooms or anti-far are bigger threats to the health of the world and the monsters who have fucked up things politically see U.S. foreign policy and the environmental in the worst possible way, then I think it's mission accomplished. Then these well-polished assholes will continue to rule the world while distracting us with manufactured conflict so that they keep running business as usual and fucking us all. Yeah. And to me, Ben Shapiro is sort of the poster child for this kind of approach. So for once, we had a rant that was really a rant. Yeah, that was ranty as hell. But I don't know, I can't, I can't even, like this stuff is, it's not bugging me that, it's bugging me when I hear really smart people who actually don't see this aspect of the problem. And they're like, hey, but he's, you know, look at how he's criticizing yeah. anti-fi and anti-fi. Nice anti tie on too, yeah, look at that. It's like, come on, man, really? This is where we're at? But Stephen Miller's the one that makes me crazy. That's I don't know a Santa Stephen Monica Miller. kid, he's... um. He was the one that told, like, early in in the administration was, you will respect the president and do as he's told. He's one of the little minions. Yeah, but they've got video of him from back when he was in high school. And he would, his idea was, uh, I can litter all I want to because that's what the janitors are paid for. Oh, Jesus Christ. Sound when, like a nice And kid. when you're starting there, yeah. what possibly yeah, good down. can come from that? No, of course. I don't know, man. I'm still 100% behind. I've said it for years. Let's 
replace all of the Congress people. Oh, yeah. And I think if we just pick whoever the night manager on a Thursday is at Trader Joe's, just pick that guy. He can be worse. <laughs> Regardless of who, you know, because once right. you, you figure over yeah. the, the bell curve of insanity, we'll probably be okay in the end. And uh, have folks that aren't just waiting to get their pockets filled by the Koch brothers and everybody. Yeah. And there's no really fixing it. As long as somebody can throw $400 million down, not even notice it, yeah. and get their way. On that note, I had an interesting conversation. There was, I was teaching class, and there was this guy who was clearly ideologically committed. He had his socialism sucks sticker, and he had... And we are talking about Eisenhower. Well, he's going to a public university. Right. Okay. We are talking about Eisenhower's speech about the military-industrial complex, and that yep. was talking about the influence of money in politics, and how that's really the root of what fucks things up on it a political is. level. And the guy wanted to basically argue, look, maybe this is just the nature of the game. Maybe it's because you can't really take out money in politics because this is against free speech. And so, you know, because if it's my money, you know, how are you going to restrict the amount of money I spend on supporting a political candidate? Which, of course, makes sense logically, except that after the equal sign, you have monstrous corruption leading to mass suffering. So that can be the solution. So what I told him was like, look, I'm not telling you I got the perfect solution here. Okay, I'm not telling you ban all corporations from political involvement. I'm not telling you, I'm not telling you shit. Okay, I'm not telling you what the good step is. I'm telling you, let's just agree first on what cannot be the solution. And the solution cannot be the current system where there's this monstrous degree of corruption that lead to some people getting what they want at the expense of the public. And know? the whole planet. Yeah, that cannot be the solution. We agree on that. And he's like, yeah, sure. Okay, I can see how. So, okay, I'm like, okay. I'm not pushing any specific policy. What I would invite you to do is, how about we sit down and figure out what other alternatives are there? What other governments throughout history have done to tackle corruption? And just test it out against the backdrop of history. Let's look at what the options are. So again, if you can't find anything better, and it turns out that with all of its flaws, the American system is the best one, Keep that one. But let's test it first. Okay, let's let's do that game. And to me, it's an interesting way to have that discussion because with somebody who was very ready to kind of take issue with anything I would say from that point forward. Yeah. And I brought it down to the point where we can agree on something, you know, which is kind of the Taoist idea. It's like, let's find a point of contact and then we can build from there, right? So let's... I brought it down to that level without alienating the dude, pushing a policy that he would consider, oh, that's some socialist crap or something like that. I'm like, I'm not saying that. So let's go back. And I find that extremely useful in communication. You know, bring it what would be a hostile relationship. Sure. Bring it back down to a level where you're still on the same team. And it's going to be very easy to split, but let's start from there and build up. No, you're right, because I think my general reaction would be, so uh, next time you need to call the police there, Mr. Anti-Socialism, and don't you dare step foot in a library, you know, or use the roads we all pay yeah, for. Yeah, but exactly, the problem is... That's the problem. Is a lot of times you, know, you immediately fight, what are you... You can't do it. Yeah, whether you're right or wrong... He's gonna. The conversation is not gonna. It's go over anywhere. at that point, exactly. Because then he's gonna put up his anti-antifasms. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So troubling Tru times. Truly a rant today. Yes. <laughs>
Isabel. So we have a, a special contributor this month. Yes, indeed. For our at least part one of our Isabella moment, we have, well, it seems kind of appropriate to have Isabella. That makes perfect sense. So let's have uh, sweet little Isabella. Well, kind of, most of the time. Um, do you want to read us your article for the school newspaper about the plague of lice invading the school? Oh, yes. she's a published... It's called Bugs. Be careful who you hug, because lice is going around. Who knows what those lice do in your hair? They could have dance parties or get drunk, <laughs> but something that I do know is poop and pee. They not only suck your blood, make you witchy, and lay gross things in your hair, but they also poop in your hair like we do in the toilet every day. And P.S., you do know that their hair is people... That the toilet is people's hair. That seems uh, quite appropriate for a school newspaper. Yeah, it's in insightful. Case, uh, in case Isabella's voice was too fast and you can't understand the things unless they are in a proper Italian accent, let me read it for you. <laughs> ah. Check this out, Is check, check the sound of this. I'm going to make it all... Uh, okay. Be careful who you hug because lice is going around. Who knows what those lice do in your hair? They could have dance parties and get drunk. But things that I do know is poop and pee. They not only suck your blood and make you itchy and lay gross eggs in your hair, but they also poop and pee like we do in the toilet every day. And P.S. You do know that their toilet is people's hair. Mm. That's a lot of insight right there. You know, when when you really put it together, not only are they pooing, but they're pooing your blood. So it's human blood poo. Oh, that's double disgusting. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, for the next article, that's that's Volume an added two. detail that uh, get the gross <laughs> factor up a notch. Now, there's nothing fun about lice at all. We no. uh, we we had several chapters. I think it's one point we did peanut butter in our hair, all of us with our little, you know. And there's nothing more fun than stripping every bed. Every towel, oh, yeah. every piece of clothing. Joy. We would go to the giant laundromat and just fill eight of the super and just wash and wash and wash. Excellent job, Izzy. Giving oh, Rich a hug. She's squeezing very tight. Yeah, she doesn't believe in soft hugs. That's, she's, that's uh, a good thing. They aren't even hugs. I agree. Okay. Yeah, I agree. But, um, yeah, man, when lice goes around, and there are some parents that clearly don't take it super seriously. So they're like, oh, I'll give the little shampoo to the kid, and then it doesn't do anything. And then no. I want to shave them all. I'm like, it's just, not about, you know, you reach that option. I think we all did end up with short haircuts at one point, like round three of year two. Yeah, you're like, come on, this is. And the problem tends to be lice like the clean hair. Oh, I did not know that. Yeah, and the kids with the, you know, I'm sure you've had the little brush and the little comb. Oh yeah, and yeah of every course, inch of, of it. And, yeah, not fun. Not, not fun. fun at all. I don't know. It's just one of the part of those. It's a part of the adventure, man. Yeah, I guess. Fuck it. It's not a fun part of the adventure. No, and I don't know. Do they actually serve a purpose other than just being a pain in the ass? No, I don't believe so. So fuck lice. So, they so, need to yeah, go. They could be on the mosquito list. Yeah, exactly. They need to go big time. Well, we're getting this since it's since we're melting here in Los Angeles right now. Yeah. Um, we're getting ant attacks. 
and mosquitoes. I mean, one of the beautiful thing about LA was that there have never been mosquitoes. Now it's mosquito central. I don't know what you the hell is happening. mosquitoes up here? Because oh, the reason man. we get the ants is because we got no water. So they we have mosquitoes all over the damn place. There's still no water. Oddly, I guess they're just the one quarter of an inch enough that there are wow. plenty of mosquitoes. Now it's really weird. It's like I never seen mosquitoes in LA in 25 years. I mean, you see one once in a while. You go outside, you get eaten alive out there. Well, you are in sort of a, a less jungle sort of a setting up here. Yeah, but even when I out go, on the coastal plains, we got nothing but just hot. Sound like fun. It was so hot that Gretchen was able to go to the beach and not have five layers on because she's always cold. Right. It's like hot wind coming off the ocean. Very disconcerting. Man. Because that works as a nice air conditioner usually. And holy shit. Yeah. Something's changing, though, because at least this part of LA is getting more humid. And more humid doesn't mean a lot of rain, but it still means humid enough for to have that kind of muggy feeling to it all, mosquitoes, that kind of crap. But... In any case. I wonder what should be causing such a thing. Yeah, I don't know. That's probably a Chinese conspiracy. I'm That's guessing. what it is. Yeah. Well, luckily there's no scientists to help us out. No, you never. You believe those guys anyway. Never, never, never. <sighs> a couple of um, Isabella's favorites as of late. There's um, oh, one that's pretty funny. She got into this... Uh, you ever heard that song, Despacito, that's this uh, ultra-annoying... Uh, even Justin Bieber covered it or something. Yes, that was, But there's this Filipino comedian, Mikey Bustos, who did a parody My of speedos. it. My Speedos. Yes, he's a bold fella. <laughs> and Isabella has died every time she watched that thing because it's pretty funny. <laughs> the, she's also been uh, very partial to a video by Black Keys of the song Tighten Up where there are these uh, two little kids who get into a fight over this little girl and she cracks up all the time. Yeah, it's very close to reality. Yes, indeed. Among the other things she's been partial to, do you ever heard the Samuel L. Jackson version of reading Go the Fuck to Sleep? I can't imagine that I haven't. Go the Fuck to Sleep is, you know that book, right? It was mm -hmm. kind of this uh, number one on Amazon for a while where it's like all frustrated parents around the world could relate it's like it's really hilarious because it has all this classic, semi-poetic kid language. And go right? to fucking sleep. And that is like, but if you don't go to fuck to sleep now, it's like. And in Samuel L. Jackson voice, is hilarious. <laughs> so that's if you guys haven't checked it out, that's another jewel for you. And one that she seriously loves has been. Uh, she hasn't watched the movie, but she just has this one clip from. Uh, I think it was the Adams Family Values. I forget which one of the movies of the Adams Family it was, but there's this scene where at this summer camp they are having a Thanksgiving play, and there's the goody goody little blonde girl who's all like part of the play, super condescending and. There's uh, Wednesday, the kid from the Adams family has to play uh, the um, this this lady from the Indian side, and uh, you know the little blonde girl is all like, "We need to welcome our savage friends because even if they are not quite, they are just like us, except they don't have last names or wear shoes." But other than that, you know, <sighs> and there's this all like subtle racism throughout the text, right? And, you know, you see it and all the loser kids who have been casted on the Indian side, they're all like kind of pissed off and annoyed because they're obviously being made fun of. But, you know, in front of all the parents at the end of the summer camp thing. 
And so now it's Wednesday turn to give the speech where, she, when, you know, for the other girl finish with like, please come sit and break bread with us. And Wednesday go, no, wait. And then she goes into the speech about uh, the gods of my tribes have spoken. They said that, and she goes to the list of like, you will take the land that is rightfully ours. You will, you know, and goes through all the list of basically what colonization looks like. And by the end of it all, where in the meantime, everybody's panicking, like, hey, those are not the right lines. What's going on? Uh, <laughs> she ends by looking at this girl and says, and for these reasons, I'm going to scalp you and burn your village to the ground. And then all the little kids casted in the Indian role, they go into this, they tie up all the others, they set the village on fire, the kind of stuff that probably in a kid movie they do not let you do today. In, uh, but whenever that was done and they could still slide with it, Isabella laughs her ass off every time she see that thing. Well, she thinks it's nice hilarious. For someone to get their come up and so I'm yeah. I'll never forget in a in a Cub Scout den, this drove my wife to take over leadership when uh, some gentleman with uh, not a lot of education was letting everybody know that Thanksgiving was celebrating how the pilgrims had kindly taught the Indians how to hunt deers <laughs> and and survive in the wilderness. Right. It's like, wow. And this guy was in charge. Wow. Yeah, that's... Uh, and speaking of which, I guess, since Thanksgiving will be coming up soon, if there's... I always use this line when I teach uh, American Indian history and stuff like that. I always use the... Because, I mean, something like that probably did happen, sure. right? There was an alliance between the Wampanoag and the Puritans early on. They did have kind of this uh, harvest celebration that they would have. So likely some Thanksgiving scenario did happen. But the way I, I finish it is, but if you can learn something from history, watch out who you're having Thanksgiving dinner with. Yeah. Because if history repeats itself, those are the guys most likely to stick a knife in your back down the road. Or not even that, you know, here, have some of my uh, smallpox salad. Yeah. You're going to enjoy this. The, yeah, because what happens is that eventually Puritan and Wampanoag, they are allied for a little bit, and then the Puritans eventually decide, well, fuck you guys, we need to take your land, and you need to go. And they push them, push them, push them until eventually all full-on war breaks out and it gets pretty nasty. But, uh, yeah, that's... Um, and it was only going to get worse. The, there's even a... Um, there's this group, I don't know if you ever heard of them, they're called... The, <clears throat> a tribe called Red. They are an um, American Indian group out of Canada. They mix kind of electronic music with more traditional stuff. And they have uh, the, one of their songs, they use this clip from the Adams Family and they throw that in as the only lyrics on an otherwise electronic <laughs> song. And uh, it's pretty hilarious. They are, they are fun. Do not trust the pilgrims. 
And for all these reasons, I've decided to scalp you and burn your village to the ground. Well, it's time for story time, everybody. Brought to you by Sure Design T-shirts. Happy Nibbles for Happy Planet. Who is who's getting murdered this week? Um, our tale is inspired by another podcast. There's a History of Pirates podcast, Ooh. which it's pretty funny. There are all sorts of tales from the ancient world, from modern pirates, all sort of stuff. You, you know what every pirate's favorite letter is, don't you? I know, but please do tell the. Oh good no, folks. go ahead. You got to do your part. Well, it's, it's the one letter that I would uh, rotate in multiple ways with the R. Nay, it be the C. What does... Ah, I see what you did there. See? I see indeed. There you go. There's a pirate joke for y'all. It ain't the same one you heard 100,000 times. Duh. <laughs> we go in ancient Rome for this particular pirate story. Cool. Uh, with a very young Julius Caesar. Uh, Julius Caesar's need no introduction, but we go at a time early on when he was in his early twenties. He was. This is more fan fiction. Julius no, Caesar this is actually ninth grade. This is the real deal. Okay. It's not made up. There are plenty of sources on this. I've, I've I've read this story before, but then I was reminded of it by the History of Pirates podcast. And uh, what happened was the Mediterranean Sea was kind of swarming with pirates. Um, on one end, Rome kind of tolerated piracy. Um, they sort of let it go on because one of the things that it did is that it helped flood the market with slaves during the times when they didn't have enough wars to keep up with the demand. So, you know, if we're slacking and we are not having some major wars so we can capture a bunch of people to sell into slavery, then the pirates can go kidnapping people and sell them into slavery and the way the demand for slavery, you know, is satisfied. Thank goodness. So Rome sometimes just turned the other, you know, they look the other way and they let pirates slide. They would crack down a little, but not that much. And also, incidentally, they would create more piracy when war would leave some defeated people with nothing or they would overly tax them. And so a lot of people who would have never thought of becoming pirates figure, hey, I got na- war has demolished the economy of my country. There's nothing left. Uh, Romans tax collectors demand more and more when I have nothing left. Time to go get a giant cargo ship. Yes, let's hoist the black flag and start slitting throats. That's the... So piracy was a big deal in the Roman world, right? And in this one case, good old Julius Caesar in like 23, I think, He's traveling the Mediterranean. He's captured by pirates. What? And uh, the pirates realize the guy is well-connected. He has money. So they say, okay, we can sell him. And, uh, you know, we can get, we can ask for uh, some kind of, um, like, we'll hold him hostage. They have to pay a ransom and we'll return him. So, So this Mexican drug cartel stuff is nothing new. No, definitely not. And now... There were some pirates, particularly for the area of Cilicia, which is basically modern-day Turkey and parts of the eastern side of the Mediterranean, that in many cases, they had a murderous sense of humor when it came to Romans. Like, if they were Roman citizens, but they did not have the kind of money that would attract them to, okay, we can sell this guy for a ransom. 
Sometimes the pirates would just put on the show where they would apologize to the Roman citizens, say, I'm so sorry, we didn't know that we are touching somebody so powerful as you. Well, it's okay. Please wear your formal toga and uh, we, we'll bow at you and That's say That's a good sorry. idea, sir. You should get right and to that. Because we never did... You know, we never did invent, intend to disturb you. We, we are going to send you right back home. So I'm glad to see you filthy pirates are finally learning a lesson. And you could clean this fucking ship up, too, while you're at it. It stinks, and you guys are rat bastards. So how do you like my toga? Well, and, we, come on. Time, and, time and, to go. And that's what the pirates say. Exactly. It's time to go. So please oh, cool. step off the ship and walk home. Except well, that by now they are about 100 miles in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea. And it's like... I'm sorry about saying the ship was smelly. <laughs> I could I could mop it for you before I. And they're like, "Okay, time to go. We, we meant it. If you don't, we're gonna. We insist that you go home now." And so they would Sploosh. just yes, toss them overboard. And is that the is that the real beginning of walking the plank? Yes, is that where exactly. that came from. They say that sometimes they would lower a rope ladder for the Roman oh. to go down into the sea, and uh, off they go, and bye-bye. You might as well dive, you know, one yeah, last little thrill exactly. before, before the sharks eat your ass. Basically, right? But apparently Julius Caesar said enough uh, of the good money, where they were like, no, no, we keep this guy. And uh, actually, Caesar was so cocky that when they said, uh, I forget, a talent of silver was a, a measure of, I forget how much money it is in contemporary times. It's a lot in any case. So the pirates were saying, ah, he's a young guy, yeah, nobility, but we'll ask for 20 talents of silver. And Caesar goes like, what? I'm insulted. I'm insulted. I'm worth at least 50 talents of silver. So, And the pirates are like, well, in that case, 50 it is. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> at least 49, you're walking the plank. And so Caesar sent, uh, you know, he was captured with some of his friends. He sent some of them back home to pack up, get the money ready and all of it. And so for a few days, I think for a little over a month or something, he stays with the pirates. And the pirates are amused by him because he's treating them like they are his servants. You know, he's, uh, he's just giving them the speech. Like, he regularly composes poetry and wants to read it to them. And if they are not paying attention, he yells at them to kind of make sure they pay proper attention. At night, when he's trying to write, if they are too rowdy, he says, come on, shush it, I'm working here. You know, it's getting like, tomorrow's poems or, together. What the hell is wrong with you people? Yeah. When Did they the, even understand what he's saying most of them? Probably. Um, I think they were just amused by, you know, most <laughs> pirate prisoners were scared. They kept a low profile. They were kind of amused by how cocky this young guy was. And, you know, he would, they would have these wrestling boxing events where Caesar would participate with the pirates and just have these athletic contests where they pummel each other and all of that. So it's like the pirates thought he was good sports. And, uh, and one of the things that he kept telling to them is, you know, when now my friends will arrive and they will pay the ransom and I go home, I'm going to come find you and I'm going to crucify you all. And all the pirates <laughs> go, that is so Man, funny. There's no end to this yeah, guy. But... He's a nut. Exactly. Right. <laughs> Where's the 50 talents? Exactly. So the 50 talents do arrive. The pirates are like, okay, it was fun, Mr. Julius Caesar. See you. Julius Caesar gets to the closest sign of Roman civilization, recruits some soldiers, get back in a ship, goes back to where the pirates were, find them, capture them all. Oh, he wanted those guys. Yes. He wasn't fixing nope. piracy no, in general. No, 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 no. He wanted those guys. 
<laughs> imprisoned them. The local governor probably has been bought off by pirates in the past, so he's kind of dilly-dallying about what to do. So Caesar got pissed, goes back to the prison, has them released in his custody, and promptly crucified them all. And uh, he was like, you guys didn't believe me. That's what I said. It wasn't that hard to understand. That's exactly what I told you I would do. So here we go. That's very Khaleesi right there. Yeah, that's some pretty hardcore stuff. How many dudes do you think you're talking about? Crew probably 40? Yeah, that's my guess. That's a lot of trees to chop yeah, down. Yeah, I know. Now, are these the X ones that we saw on Conan days, or were they... We don't know, because they... Jesus-y... Because uh, uh... he had crosses in, for crucifixion in Roman times. They came in multiple forms, Ooh, somewhere. Perhaps he did several, to kind of like... Exactly. I just can't decide. Some used nails, as in the Jesus stories. Some yep. they just tie you with a rope. Much, kind much of, longer suffering that yeah, way. Yeah, leave you there. And the story goes that in a few pi- a few pirates were being, uh, he liked them a little better than the others. He cut their throats first, huh. meaning I'll kill you. And then I leave you hanging your body on the cross. I don't let you go through the whole process of sitting there for three days That's slowly dying. Kind. So yeah, so some got the favorable treatment, the others not so much. But yeah, that's Julius Caesar and the pirates. Do you think that aura, that sort of, he obviously thought a lot of himself mm-hmm. from the very beginning. Yep. Is that necessary to rise to power? I think so. You've got to have that sort of gumption. Yeah, there's even a tale of his, I think he was in Spain, if I remember correctly, where he sees a statue. And again, I'm really coined by memory because I wasn't thinking of telling this particular story, but I believe it was a statue of Alexander the Great that he sees somewhere. Not so great. And he's pissed off saying, you know, Alexander at my age at a time when he had already conquered half of the world, oh, what the hell is wrong I with see. me? I'm, yeah. I'm a failure. I need to step up my game here. So clearly his degree of ambition was really high. He had these, uh, I'm destined for amazing things, I need to make it happen. And so he was driven by this, uh, by this idea. He was not the, eh, yeah, I would like to get it done, but in the meantime, forget it. Let's go have a, nice a beer. Farm. Um, yeah. It's going well. They got a pretty wife. No, yeah, he good. was uh, definitely, I mean, that's a classic Roman nobility thing. Ambition was the name of the game. You know, making a big name for yourself was how the Roman system kept going. Well, let's reach into the digital mailbag and, and, hey folks, write a letter. Are you out there? Hello? Uh, Testing, testing. Why don't I have a single question? Well, we got one thing to address. Let's address it. Let's jump into that. We have, very recently, it appears that good old Dan Carlin has gone on a permanent hiatus from his uh, second show, Common Sense, the political one. And... People are wondering what's going on there. You know, if anything, Dan is the ultimate voice of reason that you badly need in times like this. Why is he pulling a disappearing act? Well, you know, like the last couple ones, one was like, what's the Civil War going to look like? <laughs> right. You know, are we just going to sneak dirty bombs into our cities and take this, you southern goofballs, and boom. And then I know he like said he was cutting ties with it at some point but then he kind of kept doing a couple yeah he but he also references that the trump thing 
he has a feels a bit of responsibility for it. Yeah, I think that you know, for years and years and years, uh, Dan has been arguing we need somebody to outside the box, step out from outside the box, who's not with the establishment of the Democratic Party, is not with the Republican Party, which made perfect sense, right? Because the establishment of both parties is terrible. And then he got somebody who was not officially the establishment of either. And clearly Dan was like, uh, that, that's not what I meant at all. That's, can I get a different... And so, you know, and he got a bunch of messages of like, hey, you, you ask for it. Here it is. Why are you so upset? And clearly, you know, there's a... I forget how it goes. There's an Nietzsche sentence about how outside of the norm, you have the gods, but you also have the monsters. So... Dan has been asking for something outside of the norm, but it didn't go in the direction he wanted. It's in the direction of something fairly horrific. And so Trump just depressed the hell out of him. There's no argument about it. And and I think more than just Trump, though, it's not only a Trump thing. I think he's uh, for somebody who, in some way, kind of like what we do, like where there's a reverence for nuance, there's a reverence for this, but that. There's, I mean, where the drunken Taoist, the whole point is to look at things from multiple sides, to have a yin yang approach to things. Dan clearly does that all the time. He's a subconscious Taoist, because I don't think he ever really read much into it, but he's very intrigued with that. Like, that's his, the way, his way of thinking. He's always this... Yeah, he takes, more... he takes a lot into consideration. He's not quick like, oh, there's not quick reactions to things. And, and he's I, been preaching that for a long time. Precisely. And I think the problem is that he feels that we are in a cultural context of sound bites, of outrage of just complete black and white mentality, which is, if you think about it, it's funny because that's the kind of theme that we have been hitting on episode after episode after episode with different examples, but there's always the same thing that pops up, which is the dangers created by binary logic, by the this or that, the dangers of this black and white mentality where you're either completely on one camp or completely in another, the dangers of thinking through ideological positions where you want a certain viewpoint to be right so then you go look for all the evidence to support it and ignore all the stuff that doesn't fit yeah i'm only going to believe it's going to support my notions exactly rather than just letting the evidence speak for itself and making up your mind based on what on the what the evidence is saying times social media where you're being fed your friends you know when people are defriending i'm not talking to uncle fred anymore because he's crazy well, now you don't hear the other voices at all, and you just, every day, oh, he sucks, and this sucks, and that sucks, and they suck, totally. and oh, they're going to take our guns, and they suck. And it really is reaching a point where who knows what's going to happen. And I think that's the problem that Dan feels. He's not just Trump, because he argues the people who are all hardcore against Trump sometimes are not that much better in terms of how they approach life or they view things. Is again, this black and white worldview just from the other side. Yeah. And so he feels like, what do I have to contribute at a time when, uh, you know, if you, if you dare to say, hey, let's listen to what this other guy has to say, you are taken as a collaborator and you're either a Nazi or a communist because it's like, what, you say to listen to that? You're, you're actually having a dialogue with these people? Then you're a Nazi sympathizer. Or if you're having a dialogue with these people, then you're some crazy communist. And it's like, he feels like, my approach is doomed in a context in which everyone immediately jumps on you, on you if you uh, 
if you dare to have a nuanced approach. You see, you are treated like a collaborator, like a sympathizer, like somebody who's facilitating things. So I think he's, he did mention it on Twitter where he said, you know, I started, I started recording Common Sense probably six or seven times. And about 15 minutes in, I can hear kind of this whimper that comes out. And I'm just like, I take a deep sigh and then I just throw out my hands and I'm like, I'm done. You know, uh, forget it. It can't help that things move so fast now where a week feels like a month and a half. Mm -hmm. And that by the time the latest insult on Friday arrives, you have no idea uh, what you were pissed off about on Monday. Yeah. And it's. It's funny because most, I think this is the problem with what Dan is doing is that I think his voice is needed more than ever or voices like it because where do I, you know, I know where to go to get some outrage, pissed off, batshit crazy guy on one side or the other. <laughs> there's no shortage of that. No, there's no shortage of that at all. And the thing that to me is like, it is my litmus test for knowing when somebody is not worth listening to if I can predict what you're going to say before you say it on any single issue, that means you are a dogmatic little shit who's just going by the playbook and is not really thinking through the issues. If uh, the guy on the right is always telling me the same message, the guy on the left is always telling me the same thing, there's no surprise. Again, that's because you're not looking at the evidence that's constantly shifting and you're just taking a preconceived position and running with it all the time, which is why to me, more than ever before, a voice like Dan would be huge, would be important. Then again, Dan says, you know, it's like the political show. Yeah, it does well and stuff, but I have like one tenth of the audience than for hardcore history. I get the feeling that, you know, the, the need for that is so much less than what I get in other ways that maybe I should just shut up and do something else. And oh, especially just worry the about... grief he probably gets. Exactly. I can imagine his mailbox is plenty full of anger. and. Yeah, so I think I get it. I completely get it. At the same time, I don't know. I can't accept it as an answer because I feel that uh, it feels like, uh, otherwise it feels like giving up, you know, it feels like, well, okay, let's let the crazies run the show. Let's not even bother trying to put out a different voice on these kind of issues. And I think there are quite a few people who could be intrigued with a more, who, are, who, are, who don't just want to wave a flag one way or another, who want and need somebody to have uh, to present evidence in a different ways to present a different way of thinking no you're not gonna end up on fox news thanks to it or cnn or anything you're gonna end up on it is but that's why it's podcasting it's your own weird media you do it at home with your mics and that's it you know you can so i don't know i mean I, un I completely understand where dan is coming from yeah but i seriously hope he changes his mind well, perhaps it's time. I mean, we've talked about the searching for purple concept for a long time. Like the middle, the people that are sensible and sort of see both sides of things are the only people that are going to get out of this. I mean, just in the last week, watching the news, you watch the Republicans push through legislation that just fucks the people again. And you oh, yeah, wonder, how can they have anybody support that? Yep. But then at the same time, you have Nancy Pelosi being interviewed. Like, if you get a hold of the Congress in 2018, will there be impeachment? She won't even say yes. She'll be like, well, you know, it's complicated, blah, blah, blah. So neither of them are fighting for the people. It is just a bunch of yeah. bullshit and 
you know. No, as parties, yeah, both Democrats and Republicans are terrible. There is no argument. The, um, yeah, it's it's a mess that way. It's a mess because it's uh, people are fighting over the wrong issues half of the time, and it's a lot of it is smoke and mirrors for totally economic is. interests that are. They love it. to keep us busy fighting over nonsense. Yeah. While they empty the fucking coffers completely, because it's like yeah, fight about transgender bathrooms while we screw you over yeah, with a tax cut for for billionaires. Yeah, because those are the cats that need some money. Right. No, in fact, it's a it's a weird game, and I do get why a guy like Dan would be frustrated. There's no argument. You know, he's right. He's completely right. Just because you're right doesn't mean that that's the right course of action. Sometimes one that may not be correct may be the way to go because it's like, what's the alternative? Yeah, give up. That's the alternative. That cannot be, you know, I understand all the parts of the equation. These plus these plus these plus these all correct. But when you add them all up and after the equal sign you have give up, no, let, let's reverse engineer this because that cannot be the outcome. That's not a good outcome. No, and that's not really the attitude you expect from Americans in general. I mean, there are times when we do the right thing. I have, here's a little concept for you. If I had a big giant country full of money and power and capacity mm-hmm. and one of my protectorates had been completely destroyed, let's say, by a fucking hurricane or two, yeah. would that not be the time to get everybody together and go, you know what? We're going to rebuild this Mm -hmm. as the example for how we're going to rebuild the whole country. Crumbling infrastructure everywhere you look. Well, let's go in. Let's try some experimental things. We're going to redo all the sewers. We're going to redo all the water. We're going to figure out how to do the power grid, perhaps underground, so it doesn't get destroyed by hurricanes. I mean, this is the things that should be happening at this moment. Trying different things. And I've seen, like, Tesla, of course, has their... Their solar panels out, and I think Google has their blimp uh, Wi-Fi's, but mm-hmm. it needs to be deeper than that. It needs to be down to like digging wells that don't get flooded and taking care of our own people. Yeah, that's uh, it's a rather revolutionary con- uh, concept in this particular context where it's really not working out very well. But- no. Nature of the game. So let's hope that in like every good movie, the hero of our tale, good old Dan Carlin, goes <laughs> off into the desert after having given up. And when yeah, but the, Jesus was out there for a long the, time, the man. darkness, the darkness keep creeping in, and the man comes back with his ass on his chest uh, and like, okay, I found my purpose again. Here I am, motherfuckers. That's my uh, that's my Dan Carlin fantasy. Where have you gone, Dan Carlin? Exactly. <laughs> when a nation is looking at you. <laughs> well. Fucking music means one thing, and that's the end of another fine episode of the Drunken Towns Podcast. Wow, a ranty, angry, political... I mean, the time has come. The people are rising. <laughs> I've got my torches soaking in, and I'm going to get my pitchfork sharpened, and by God, we're going to fix this shit. That's how it goes. It's going to have to. It's time. Yeah, I well, say. I figure your general billionaire is going to have really good security, so it's going to take twenty, forty thousand 40000 to take each mansion on that- the super high end. 
but I got 300 million, motherfucker, so let's go do it. I see. Reach for the revolution. Hell yeah! Let's the people financing your revolution. Let's thank them real quick. <laughs> we got... Let the pottering begin. Kelly Williams, Aaron McLaughlin, Stephen McKee, Jonathan Waterloo, Lisa Robles, Jane Sacaster, Matt Chebre. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you. Much, people appreciate your, your, your donation. Much, much appreciated. If you guys uh, use uh, Amazon, if you can please use your Amazon link, sometimes, you know, we bring up books or things or other products that we mention in them. Check them out on Amazon if you want to get them through our Amazon link that's found on the podcast website. Also on the podcast website are the links for discounts to uh, Onnit. So beautiful Onnit products. You can get them for, I think it's a 10% discount that you get through us. There are no more discounts. There used to be, but they weren't for long, complicated reasons. I won't get into. Uh, Chris Odell decided to discontinue them. But still, they, that's who Sarah awesome products worth checking out whether or not mm, the specific discount is gone but the the products are still there check them out and of course check out short design with the softest t-shirts on the planet hey Arkiva is on on target to break a hundred thousand dollars by the end of the year check and that out yeah, for, for anybody who says that you know nothing comes from these podcasts you guys have been so incredible and uh always ready for another hundred of you to join us it's 25 dollars that can just sit and spin for years and uh helps people out in amazing ways and they now offer uh loans to folks in the u.s as well so if you want somebody that doesn't have to be financed by some evil loan uh, loan shark this is a way to help Nice. I dig it. That's a very cool project that you have been following and pushing all along. So that's all on you, my man. Sweet. The, um, Daisy House Music, thank yeah. you for letting us use the always awesome Drunken Taoist team. Um, in case you guys are in the market for chocolate, it's, like, it's always been one of our affiliates, Coracao uh, Chocolate. There's a link in the episode notes. Check them out. Why not? Um, anything else? I mean, Amazon we mentioned, so yeah, please do your shopping via, uh, on Amazon. If you are interested in uh, the Taoist lecture series that I have out there, check it out. Or my book, Not Afraid. There's, uh, you guys have asked for an audio version. I did it, so if you want, get it. And uh, FYI, I do plan on retiring all the episodes of History on Fire. So I kind of do the Dan Carlin approach. I leave them up for free for quite a while and then eventually start retiring them. So if you want to make sure you have them, just download them before they go up for... Like recently I retired a whole Crazy Horse series, the Duel and stuff. So if you can find them on iTunes, that's why. But all the other ones, you know, Caravaggio will be next and there will be others. So get Where would them. I go to find them if they're gone? Uh, Historyonfirepodcast.com in the store section that's where the old episodes that have been retired are up for sale and of course up for sale is also the bonus episode the mesoamerican godfather which that's i never one. released good times definitely i don't know why i got so much trouble for my people it's awesome it's i had a good time with that one <laughs> cool man i think we are off wishing you a very good day bye <laughs>
and so ends another awesome episode of the Drunken Taoist Podcast. Be sure to keep your ears peeled for another mind-expanding episode coming soon. We'll be tweeting you as soon as they come out. You can keep track of Daniel at dbolelli. That's D-B-O-L-E-L-L-I. And you can find me on Twitter at richimon1. That's R-I-C-H-I-M-O-N, the numeral one. See y'all soon. In questo caso, in questo caso, le provvidenze di Dio. Duncan showed you the way, eh? Oh man, isn't that scary to think? Nice. So don't kill people, do that instead. <laughs> this was great, fucking awesome. And I love this conversation. I have nothing against chicken other than the fact that they are ugly and weird and strange. We've been yeah, having a great hour here. Dun, dun, dun. Got lost. Are we doing the outro or the intro? We're outro. Oh, we're outro. Okay, sorry. So that's so let's continue. Did you ever see the movie Tombstone with uh, Val Kilmer and uh, uh, your accent? It just whatever that movie is you were trying to tell can me. Can you about, translate for me, please? I believe the word was tombstone. Yeah, that one exactly. <laughs> just as I was saying, you know, Tombstone. <laughs> what do I have to do? One day the rod shall teach you. Get back to work. Funky.